Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That is a very bold statement on Jesus' part, because we come to receive Jesus and his true body and blood every Sunday, and perhaps every day, and yet we still hunger, oftentimes, and we still thirst, and we express that hunger and thirst by the way in which we sin. And so I want to talk about how it is that Jesus is not a liar from our own experience, and particularly the way in which the church sees the Eucharist as the source and the summit of the Christian life, and how we sin against the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life. But through the lens of how God gives manna to the Israelites. How God gives manna to the Israelites. Now, to talk about how we sin against the Eucharist as the source of the Christian life, it's important to note that the book of Exodus is very important. It's an interpretive lens by which we see the whole New Testament. Second, probably only to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, because the parallels are, are striking, right? That God saves his people from slavery to sin in the New Testament, and how God saves people from slavery to the Egyptians in the Old Testament. That God brings us to the heavenly homeland in the New Testament, how God brings the Israelites to the promised land in the book of Exodus. So the way in which it's laid out will tell us how we are to be saved in the New Testament. And what God does first, after he saves his people from the Egyptians, is that he doesn't immediately give them the law. He doesn't do that. The first thing he does before he gives the law is that he gives them food. Because without food, they will never be able to understand the law. I'll give an example. The best meal that I've ever had in my entire life. Whenever I was a sophomore in college, we had just finished finals, and LSU did this terrible thing where we would do finals on Saturday mornings. And so we had this Saturday morning final, and impulsively, after being strung out the whole week, being stressed, me and two friends decided that immediately after, we would take all the food out of our pantry and just drive to Mississippi and backpack for four days. And on the third day, by the time that our rations were low, it was lunch, and all we had was a bottle of Welch's jelly that you could squeeze. We had to pass it around and squeeze it into our mouths. That was not the best meal I ever had. But the best meal I ever had was the meal immediately after that, whenever we had to share uh, Bush's baked beans, bread stuffing, and Hillshire Farm smoked sausage off of a Frisbee and pass it around. That was the best meal I've ever had in my entire life because we were so hungry and delirious. And only after then did we like really make sense of the trip and say, man, this was a great trip. But after that point, it was purgatory. Now, the point of sharing that is that a lot of times, the way in which we sin against the Eucharist, the true, now the, the new manna, is that we approach living the law of God without first being fed. And of course, in the literal sense, we like in the, in the real physical sense, we are being fed, right? We receive the body of Christ. But it is worth saying, a lot of times we hear the sixth chapter of John that we heard today and that we'll hear for the next several weeks and just kind of like look back with our arms crossed upon non-Catholics and fallen away Catholics and say, yep, you see, 
God gave us the sixth chapter of John as a proof text against Protestants to show that this is the real, uh, that, that this is truly Jesus Christ present in the sacrament. But Jesus is less concerned about proving his sacramental presence in the sixth chapter of John than he is about getting the Jews to understand who he is and that to receive him in faith is what gives life. And so, sure, we receive Holy Communion every Sunday. That's fine. But if we don't receive it in faith, it does nothing. We can't receive the grace and have it have effect within us if we are not rightly disposed to receive that grace. And so we remain starved Christians and that we try to live the law of God and remain obedient to it. And even if we do without nourishing ourselves off the Eucharist in faith and the power of God, people still see this and they see us as kind of crazy and rule obsessed. And we know this because our fallen away Catholic friends and family will often critique the Catholic Church for being so consumed with following rules and a set of discipline and that there doesn't seem to be anything more than that. And the reason why they think that is not because they own the code of canon law on their bookshelf. And they flip through and they say, well, after reading the code of canon law, I found out that you Catholics are very concerned with law. They say that because they see the way that we live our lives. We live our lives only concerned with living out the minimum and not live living our lives as truly fed Christians who feed off of the sacramental presence of Christ crucified in the Eucharist. Then that is how we will sin against the Eucharist as the source of the Christian life. But then the second way in which we sin against the Eucharist as the summit of the Christian life way that still leaves us hungry, we can go back to the Israelites' relationship to the manna. And their relationship is this, is that God never pulls away the manna from the Israelites throughout the desert. Never do the Israelites go hungry for lack of food. What the Israelites go hungry for is being bored with the manna. They say, we are tired of eating this wretched food. If only we could go back to the flesh pots of Egypt and eat that. Now, the Israelites are less concerned with God changing the item on the divine menu than they are with the, what they want to worship. The reality is they don't want to, they want to depend upon the providential hand of God. That is what is so wretched is that they feel like they're in a position of weakness where they have to depend upon God for their meals. They don't want that. They want that power back. That even if it means being in slavery, we get to decide because we can determine the idols that we worship and we can draw satisfaction from that. And so the moment that we kind of thingify or objectify the Eucharist and put it on a level means of satisfaction as other things in our life, Sure, I've experienced consolation and comfort when I've received Holy Communion, but I also experience more com- comfort and consolation when I, you know, indulge in vanity, when I indulge in lust or gluttony or the comfort of greed. Whenever that happens, and we put the Eucharist kind of on this consumerist mentality where I receive Holy Communion because of what it does for me, and we, we will eventually become bored with it. Because there's nothing glamorous about God hiding himself under the appearance of unleavened bread. 
And when that happens, what God will do and what he does in the Old Testament and the cure to both of these, both of these, I guess, uh, maladies towards the Eucharist is that God sends fiery servants. God doesn't change the menu. You know, he doesn't say like, all right, I've been giving you Popeye chicken sandwich this whole time. Now you get the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, right? He doesn't do that. Um, what he does is he sends fiery servants that bite the Israelites. And what this does is one, it, I mean, you know, it hurts them. I mean, a lot of them die. But it shows, it gets them out of this consumerist, selfish mentality. But God doesn't do that just for the sake of proving the point. What he does is that he asks Moses to take one of those servants, put it on a pole, and then to gaze upon it. And whenever he does that, then the Israelites will be healed. And the obvious corollaries to that in the New Testament is that Christ is the one who now hangs on the pole. And that if we look upon him, we will be healed. And this is kind of the interpretive key that we need to have in our relationship with the Eucharist. Is that a lot of times we get lost in our relationship with the Eucharist as just an object. Again, we thingify the Eucharist. And we don't look past the Eucharist to see the living Christ crucified who offers himself to us as a living person who demands a certain responsibility and so a response from us. No one can look upon the cross of Christ and not be healed, at least in the sense that no one can look upon the cross of Christ and not know that they have to give themselves as well back to the Father. No one can do that. And this is the way in which Jesus, as Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. If we see in the Eucharist Christ crucified and his power, that he is able to forgive my sins, that through his death he gives new life, that through his resurrection he makes me capable of being like God. If I don't see that, then I will become bored with the Eucharist. I will. And I will hunger for something else and thirst for something else. Again, Christ is less concerned with simply the act of receiving Holy Communion than he is concerned with believing in him and his power whenever we do receive it. So that whenever we receive him, we will never hunger, and that believing in him, we will never thirst.